This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Kia ora and welcome to the Pet Podcast. Pet is a dark and humorous short story collection that explores our relationships with children, lovers and other animals. The stories in this collection were written by Catherine Van Beek. In episode 4, The Hoarder, two women hoard very different things in very different ways. Read by Alison Cohen, this podcast contains strong language. Please use discretion. Talia stands gingerly on the caravan step. She wears her polyester blazer and her court shoes on client visits. But perhaps she should wear gumboots and a hazard suit. As Talia speaks, she sees Pam's eyes narrow in her weathered face. It's hard to gain someone's trust when you're always taking things from them. They're thinly spun illusions of control. Their ability to choose how they spend their Thursday afternoons. I'm not going, Pam says. Even if you don't go, the taxpayers still have to pay, Talia says. She enunciates her words clearly, hoping they'll parachute over the fence and into the next-door neighbour's garden. That's my bloody money, Ivan shouts from behind the rhododendrons. I didn't work for 50 bloody years to pay for a no-hoper like you! Ivan whisks some leaves off for effect. Snip, snip, snip. He always comes out and pretends to be gardening when Talia's here, as if hoping she might shore up his ebbing kiwi dream. Okay, Pam says loudly. I'll go next time. Talia smiles. One lives in hope. How have you been since I saw you last? Pam leans forward so she can share her news without Ivan overhearing. I got a deal on washing powder, she says conspiratorially. 30 kilograms for $2. The clothes come out so much cleaner. Talia nods. Come to think of it, there is a new aroma radiating from the caravan. A chemical twist on the usual smells of rot and ammonia. She doesn't ask Pam how she's washing her clothes. There's a washing machine behind the caravan, but it wouldn't work even if it were connected to a power source. Last time I was here, you were dealing with some kind of conjunctivitis outbreak, Talia says. Has that cleared up? Yes, Pam nods. Talia peers around the entrance to the caravan. Four cats with red-rimmed eyes stare back at her from their newspaper perches. I made a saline solution, Pam says. She shuffles backwards, manoeuvring her way between a stack of old electronics and a pile of damp-looking boxes. She produces a jar with liquid in it. Talia can't tell if it's the jar that's green or the liquid. And then I just dab it on with this, Pam says, picking up what looks like a child's sock. She clocks Talia's aghast expression. It's old, but it's clean. It was daisies. It's very hygienic. I think their eyes will come right in a day or two. And you're doing this to all the cats? Yes. How often? Pam runs a hand over her muddy grey curls. Twice a day? Twice a day. And how many cats do you have at the moment? Seven? She's got at least 15 of the bloody things, shouts Ivan from over the fence. I've been counting. 
Leaving her feet firmly planted on the step, Talia leans further into the caravan. It certainly smells as though there are 15 cats in here. Something that looks like an old fox fur stole opens its wet red eyes and stares at her. You've got a lot on your plate, Talia says. I brought a couple of cat carriers with me. Can I take two of these guys to the vet? They don't need a vet, they've got me! Pam advances on a cowering feline, sock in hand. The cat hisses and slinks into a dark crevice. Pam straightens and looks around for her next patient. You'll still have 13 that you can keep treating with the salt water, Talia says. 13's more than enough for a busy lady like you. The thing is, says Pam, waggling the sock for emphasis, these are very special cats. There's a special way to handle them, and the vet won't know how to do it right. Talia raises a finger in the air as though remembering something. I've got two big bags of friskies in my car, she says, the biggest you can buy. I'll swap you two big bags of cat food for a temporary loan of two cats, and I'll bring them back as soon as they're better. Talia walks to the battered health board pool car and heaves the sacks of friskies from the back seat. She grips the colourful handles with her fingers. Her left hand still feels naked without the rings. Funny what you can bear losing and what you can't. She returns with the sacks and plonks them outside the caravan. Pam's eyes gleam. Talia returns to the car and comes back again, this time with the cat carriers. Pam's interest in the friskies vaporises. No, she says, absolutely not. It's best for the cats if you let me get them treated. You don't want this place to become a health hazard, Talia says it loudly, hoping Ivan will back her up. It already is a bloody hazard, he calls from over the fence. Let her take the cats or I'll call the council and they'll make you get rid of the whole bloody lot. Pam draws her arms sulkily over her chest. Talia clears a space in the caravan entrance with her foot and upends the yawning carriers. She reaches into her pocket and pulls out a packet of cat treats. Here, kitty kitty. That's not how you do it. You'll never catch them that way. But as soon as Talia opens the packet, she's surrounded by emaciated cats. It's not hard to grab two from the throng and wrestle them into the cages. The fox fur doesn't stir from its newspaper cave. It just gazes on with dripping eyes. Another cat with a suspiciously large belly stays just out of reach. But she's got two. That's a start. Talia picks up a cage in each hand and trudges back towards the car, the chunky heels of her shoes sinking into the boggy grass. She buckles the cages into the back seat. Pam hovers by the car like a ghost. Talia reaches into her handbag and pulls out a tiny plastic pinball game. My son didn't want his Happy Meal toy, she says. Do you know anyone who might? Oh, yes, Pam says, whisking the toy from Talia's hand like a chicken snatching some feed. Yes, my friend would have a use for that, just perfect. Make sure you go to that appointment, okay, Talia says. Not everyone's as lucky as you. You get VIP treatment. Talia gets in her car and does a U-turn in front of Ivan's bungalow. It's one of the tidiest houses in Sawyer's Bay. 
As she drives away, she looks in the rearview mirror and sees Pam hauling the sacks of friskies into the caravan. She didn't want to lie to Pam, but there's no way that she or Pam can afford the vet. And there's no way her work will cover it. It was hard enough getting approval to buy the friskies. So the yowling flea bags in the back seat are off to the SPCA. Talia turns the radio up. Perhaps when she gets reimbursed for the cat food, she'll buy a big bright ring to fill that empty space on her left hand. Pam puts the ticket in the side pocket of her shopping trundler with all the other tickets. The bus is okay, but it's not as good as her car. She used to have a little Toyota, a little runabout. It got her and the kids from A to B. It was their own private space filled with all their special things. But then the gearbox went, and she couldn't afford to fix it. The car sat behind the house until it rusted, and when they finally got kicked out, the car stayed. That's when things started going bad. One tiny spot of decay got into her life, and suddenly everything around her was rotting, and none of her old tricks worked anymore. Did someone ring the bell? asks the driver. Pam stands up and steps out onto the footpath, the trundler landing behind her with a thud. It's packed to the brim with things that might come in handy. Always pays to be prepared. A group of laughing tweens passes her, and she does a double take. Sometimes she thinks she sees Hayden or Daisy on these city streets. But Daisy's in Berlin, and Hayden's in the Catlins, and neither of them is small, blonde, or smiling anymore. The city throbs around her. All these town people with all their town things, with all their shopping bags filled to the brim. Consumers, that's what they are. It's people like Pam who'll save the world. It's the three R's. Reuse. Recycle. Well, she prefers to upcycle. And what's the other one? She can check when she gets home. She took ten recycling brochures from the stand at the library in case she lost some. They're in the caravan under the stack of brochures about composting. She's saving her food scraps, but she hasn't gotten around to composting them yet. Pam walks around the corner and up to the old stone building. It's cold and imposing, not homely like her caravan. But the thought of Ivan and his flashing secateurs goads her on. He really would dob her into the council. He's just that type. She steps into the dark lobby and calls the elevator. The rooms are only two floors up, but with her knees there's no point taking risks. Much safer to move as little as possible. To conserve. People underestimate the value of conserving things these days. She walks into the waiting room and sits on a chair near a man in a suit. Rich people have problems too, but they can hide them beneath their tailored clothes. She wears her problems on her tatty jumper, her socks with crocs, her community services card. Another man in a nice suit emerges from Sandra's room, and a few moments later Sandra comes out. Hello Pam, she smiles, come on in. Sandra holds the door open for Pam. They're probably about the same age, but Sandra is slim and dressed like an art gallery owner. Sandra has an immaculate honey blonde bob and smells like the inside of an expensive department store. 
Pam shuffles in and perches on the edge of the unyielding Chesterfield. All that's in here is the sofa, Sandra's mahogany desk, Sandra's fancy ergonomic stool, and a wall-consuming artwork, abstract as a raw satch. On Sandra's desk is one thin tablet, one thin notepad, a gleaming silver pen, and a lonely silver frame. The place is like a TV set, there's really nothing to it. Nothing to burrow into, it gives Pam the creeps. Tell me about your week, Sandra says. As she waits for Pam's reply, she shifts the photo frame in her fingers, by turns revealing the photograph to Pam and hiding it again. She doesn't seem to know she's doing it. Nice cat, says Pam. Thanks. Sandra turns the photo back around so Pam can't see it anymore. British blue? Sandra puts her hands in her lap and clasps them together. So, how have you been? Pam thinks about Flossie and Fang, how she gave them up for two sacks of friskies. If only the car hadn't rusted, she could have bundled them all up with all their treasured things and they'd all be together now living in some secret place. I got a great deal on washing powder, she says. The clothes come out so much cleaner. 2.34 a.m. Sandra moves through her Mari Hill townhouse in navy blue silk pyjamas, an eco-cloth in her hands. If she can't sleep, she might as well clean. Every surface is wipeable or washable. Crisp Venetian blinds, glossy hardwood floors. Her recycling sits near the door, ready to be taken out on her way to work. One empty bottle of champagne, one empty bottle of sparkling water and the plastic container the cherry tomatoes came in. Everything just so. 2.37am. She can't wait. She takes her slippers off, slides on her Birkenstocks, turns on the outside light and opens the door. She walks down the stairs, creeps around the box hedging and slips the recycling into the appropriate bins. Ah, <sighs> The sense of relief is akin to post-coital glow. Is that funny or sad? Or is it just how life turns out? A showreel of images of her younger self in bed with past lovers flickers behind her eyes. She doesn't know who that woman was or which one of them is lost. Back inside, she puts her slippers back on and washes her hands. She's always been tidy, but she's become fastidious since taking on clients like Pam. Any sign of anything that approximates hoarding is immediately stamped out. Her wardrobe is ruthlessly culled twice a year. She purges the contents of her bathroom cabinets and her pantry once a month. Her cleaner comes once a week. If Pam dies in her caravan, the authorities may as well set the whole place on fire. If anything should happen to Sandra, her home could be on the market within 24 hours. Aside from the furniture, the contents of her house could probably fit inside her Mini Cooper. And even then, half of it would be Marcel's, his three-tier scratching post, his lamb's wool bed and his expensive toys. 2.46am. Sandra sits at her glass-topped dining table looking up at the mantelpiece. At Marcel's photo. Marcel's name tag. Marcel's urn. There could not have been a better companion in the world. 
better than the most reliable colleague, better than the most thoughtful friend, and certainly better than her faithless, infecund ex. She misses Marcel's fat little face and the thick pile of his fur, the way he kissed her nose with his. She slides her hand under her pyjama top and rakes her nails over the soft skin of her upper arms. Like the fastidiousness, this habit has become worse with age. It started to increase in frequency after the divorce. If her ex was good for one thing, it was anxiety-relieving banging. But that was a long time ago now. These days she doesn't even fuck her vibrator. She'd prefer to sit here and scratch herself. Of all the self-soothing methods she's come across in her practice, this is the most discreet. She's lucky her anxiety manifests this way. Imagine pulling out all your own eyelashes, or compulsively overeating. Imagine having to wear your neurosis out in public like that. She digs her fingernails in deeper. Of course, the scratching got worse after Marcel died. But he won't be dead for much longer. 3 a.m. She looks at the clock. She looks at her phone. She'll give them some time to get in, turn their computers on, make their coffee. She allows herself one last deep scratch. Really, what's the harm? Especially in these pyjamas, they don't show the blood. 3.07 a.m. She dials. He picks up the phone while he's still talking to someone. The sounds of his busy San Francisco office are at odds with her silent kitchen. Dr. Kaufman? She can hear her voice bouncing off her well-wiped walls. This is he. Hello, Sandra. I just wanted to check in. Well, things are coming along very nicely. Yes? Yes. Congratulations. We scanned the surrogate yesterday, and it looks as though you're getting twins. Twins? She wants to dance on her chair. What will I call them? How about Marcel 2 and Marcel 3? And they'll both be exactly like him? Well, that depends on how their genes are expressed. But our clones are usually almost identical. <laughs> Sandra laughs a breathy exhale. He wasn't your average British blue. He really was something special. I bet. I'll send you an email with the scan and the invoice. But in the meantime, you might want to think about booking some flights. He hangs up and Sandra looks over at Marcel's bed. It's been delinted, steam cleaned and draped with a soft new blanket. And it won't be empty much longer. The Pet Podcast was written by Catherine Van Beek and produced at ORFM, Autopoti Dunedin. Music is by Jolin Mulholland. The intros and outros are read by me, Tina Turntables. Thank you to Creative New Zealand and New Zealand On Air for making this podcast possible. You can listen again and find further episodes of Pet at ORFM. That's oar.org.nz.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.